You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Sid Talk, Sid Talk, Sid Talk. Thanks. I'm doing everything in threes today. I feel very privileged for that. <laughs> welcome. What is the before the after the show discussion before we go to the show? Oh, uh, you're just telling me more stuff about this movie. Yeah, well, so I believe is the was the thing. We actually we just went through the all. I like going through the trivia on IMDb for movies. So if you want to, um, if you watch a movie and you really like the movie and you want to find some trivia, go to IMDb. They have a trivia Ask you. page <laughs> for every single movie, and I'll give you one line of trivia for this movie. Um. Yes. Yeah, I will. I'm looking, and none of them are interesting. Hold on. <laughs> this is riveting. Uh, here we go. Here's your um, here's your trivia for the okay. movie It. The scenes at the Bowers house were actually the first scenes filmed, and the last scene filmed was the opening scene. Trivia. We knew that from the extras, but thanks. Well, these people out there didn't mainly not see the extras. That's true. So yeah, there you go. So uh, it is Saturday, January the 20th. This is After the Show. We're a movie podcast. We review movies. And this is 514. This week we're looking at the movie It. It's a 2017 movie released on Blu-ray on January the 9th, 2018. So you can pick this one up now. It's uh, rated R. And uh, Warner Brothers kindly sent us a copy for review. So thank you to Warner Brothers. So, Sid Talk, give us the synopsis of the movie It. It lives in the sewer. And it's coming for your children. That's, yes, that's it, pretty much. <laughs> yep, thank I know. You. I've seen it, I, I know, I know what it's about. Thank I don't you. think at this point people need uh, me to tell them. Well, uh, there might be people out there who have never heard of It. Then they need to watch it. But they don't even know it exists until we tell them. They're what, They're listening to this podcast? Mm-hmm. So chances are... You don't grasp the concept of this podcast. <laughs> Me? Yes, you. <laughs> That's very possible. <laughs> that is possible. You've only had 514 <laughs> of them to figure it out. True, true. Yeah. So um, the movie It. Um, so I am in a unique position, as I said to you earlier, that I never watched the original miniseries of It, and I never read the novel either. Because... Uh, I did read some Stephen King novels, but not this one. And what about you? Did you? I ha- no, uh, never read it. I watched it on TV when it was on. But I don't recall most of it, so it wouldn't be a good, you know. Right. So I never watched it at all. I know Tim Curry played Pennywise. I've obviously seen the clips of him being creepy. Start The, the image of him looking out of the um, storm drain. I've seen that. So I am slightly familiar, but I actually didn't really know the story of it. So this movie actually really surprised me because I didn't actually know what to expect. And what I saw, I don't know how faithful it is to the novel or to the other show, you know, the other movie. Um, I really liked because it was. It, kept, it reminded me a lot of um, Nightmare on Elm Street. I kept yeah. getting Nightmare on Elm Street vibes from it. How kind of Nightmare on Elm Street got ridiculous. Let's face it. 
<laughs> you reckon? It never. It didn't keep up the quality of the first one. But when it was really good, Nightmare on Elm Street, it was. It had a lot of fun with like you know, is it real? Is it not real? Is he in your dreams? Is he not in your dream? That kind of thing. Yeah. And this movie gave me that vibe quite a bit, even though it's a different thing. It's not. It's not another Freddy. Um, so I really liked it. Now, what I really liked about this movie is, as I said to you, it feels like a really expensive movie to me, like really good production values to it. Yet, it isn't a particularly expensive movie, so they probably made a lot of money off this movie because it was very popular. Sounds like it was. Um, but the production value is really good. I like that they used a cast of relatively unknown people. I don't think many people will know all these kids who are in it. And I don't think many people really know um, Bill Skarsgård, who plays Pennywise, because he is relatively new also, even though we just saw him in... What was the movie we saw him in last? I was trying to think. I totally totally don't remember, but yeah, we did. I'll remind you. I just remembered. It's Atomic Blonde. He was in that one. What was he? Yeah, he was. What was he? kind of cool guy. Can't remember his name. He's Take your word for it. He has a fight with him. Okay, I'll tell yeah. you. I got it. Yep. Um, so uh, yeah. another good movie, by the way. Yeah, Tommy I feel Bond. like this is a um, you know, it's a it's very interesting that there's not well, there's one boy you you might recognize if you watch Stranger Things, but aside from that, I didn't recognize anybody else, hmm. and I think that is to its makes it better. Absolutely. And I was thinking about it because there's going to be a chapter two to this movie. If you, you know, um, that's coming out in 2019 and it'll be like the adult versions of these kids. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder who you would get to play them. And then I was thinking, no, you get, you get people to play them who you've never seen before as well. Definitely. Because if you put like really superstars in that, in there, it would distract from it, I think. I agree. Because part of the charm is you just, you're not rooting for them because of the performer. You're rooting for them or you're against them because. Of their plight. And th- sometimes celebrity gets in the way of that because you want to root for the person or you are endeared to them already, which kind of takes away from like the story a little bit. And if you end up watching these back to back as a, you know, big one big long movie, like the original TV movie was in two parts, it would feel weird if they you didn't know all these kids and then there was a lot of superstars <laughs> for the adult versions. So um, I think that was its to advantage to have a lot of kids you don't know. I agree. Um, I also, uh, anything else, uh, the other things I liked about the movie, it, uh, I don't know if this is a fault of the movie or this is a good thing, but I didn't find it scary. Mm. Now, I guess it's supposed to be scary, and I am. I kind of think clowns are really creepy. And don't get me wrong, I think Pennywise is pretty creepy, <laughs> but there's nothing really scary apart from... Like, this real obvious jump scares in this movie. Like, that's most of the scares. Like, there's a really loud noise that you don't expect. And that's where he pops up or he jumps up jumps up out of something. What did, did you... Um, were you scared by it? I was creeped out often. And so I don't know if that's technically scared, but I was like, ugh. It creeps out more at, like, the visuals of him. And the... The thought of it... You know, and I don't get like scared either like i'm pretty i've seen a lot of horror movies and so 
I don't get like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> like no. that. Like, don't go in there, don't go in there. I get more like, I start to feel it myself. Like, what would it be like if you were that kid and you were like right there and he was, oh, I then I'd get like, oh, <laughs> you know, like I would wrench back in my seat and like pull my blanket up. Like, I was trying to feel the... And I've been in old abandoned houses. Most of us have, like an old abandoned thing or an old nasty cellar. I said, as I went from one bathroom break, I'm sure glad we don't have a creepy basement. Because that, no matter how grown up you are, when you're going down to a dark, dank cellar, basement of any kind, or like in the basement of a big building where it's dark and you have to go through like a maze of, you're, you've just, and I don't know if it's because of movies and stories or because it's your built in primal fight or flight thing cranking up, you know, like preheating just in case, because this is unknown territory and it's dark. And then in some of the scenes, like where you see two of the boys at the end of the hall and this other boy's down here and they're just kind of standing there with their backs to you. And then the door closes, you know, that kind of stuff is like, I just think it's trapping and I don't get like, get out of there or what are you doing? I mean, in your brain, you kind of do that, but... I don't feel like it's really happening, except I would imagine myself in the situation. And then trying to imagine what it's like to be truly afraid of a, of a, not of a person, because we have horrible people in this movie as well. I'm more afraid of her dad. Yeah, the adults are really terrible. They're really awful. (laughs) And so I'm more afraid, that's more scary as in predictably horrible. Than an out of control, unpredictable entity kind of a thing, you know, where you're you're not sure how afraid to be, but I know exactly how afraid to be of these adults. Yeah. So that's more of like the same thing happens. Your head goes back, and you're like, "Stop touching her! Stop touching her!" I think um, the opening scene where Pennywise is in the storm drain, and he's acting kind of cute, like and kind of yeah, um, normal almost. That's the creepiest part to me. Because it's like a child predator coming onto a child. like Yeah, and that's kind of the idea. Yeah, and it it, it felt that way. And it felt weird. And it felt, you know, come here and get the sweeties. And then, (laughs) you know. With that, like, weird. (laughs) Yeah, that weird panting he was doing. Kind of that he was getting off on it. And it was odd. Well, he was about to feed his hunger so you're like <laughs> yeah it's it, so yeah that was the part where i was like oh that's a really effective opening to the movie it's real creepy but then for me the yes there's some creepy scenes but nothing was like oh my god that is like so awful i can't even express it you know yeah you know like a horror movie like saw or something like that where there's something it's more of a gore thing or whatever. Where yeah. Like, oh my god, they really went that far. That ugh, ugh. There was nothing like that in this movie. It was more kind of almost old-fashioned scares. But I guess that's the point, right? Because it is like a an eighties thing where we had a certain way about us with horror movies and stuff. <laughs> and they're trying to revisit that. Obviously, it's full of nostalgia. We are you admitting to how old you actually are? Yes. <laughs> this movie is full of nostalgia, like a lot of things these days. I always appreciate that. I mean, I think you all ap- always appreciate that. If you were gr- if you grew up in a certain era, this one be the eighties. We both grew up in the eighties, 
Um, you're always going to connect a, a story that takes place in the 80s because you're like, oh, look, it looks like I'm. A, that's what it was like when I was a kid. They got it right. <laughs> I mean, not for me because, not exactly, because uh, I didn't grow up in America. So I don't see. Movies that reflect your 80s were like Sing Street, right? Yeah. Sing Street or not many, actually. Mm-mm. I don't really have a lot of, um, there's not a lot of British movies set in the 80s. Um, correct me if I'm wrong and tell me. Email me and tell me. Well, this is England, obviously. Is yeah, one of those. but not actual yeah. movie movies. Like, I can't think of a horror movie that Britain has made that's like period like that in the 80s. Um, I'm sure there is, but no. So what? when they do an 80s period piece in an American movie, it brings me back to watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off, that kind of movie. And it kind of brings me back to the 80s in that way. Like double. It's like a double thing. It's like, oh, oh yeah, that's, that looks like Ferris Bueller, like when they're in the high school and stuff. And then, oh yeah, I watched that when I was, when I was in the 80s. So that's how it works for me. But you're always going to be attracted to an 80s story, I think. That's why Stranger Things work so well. Don't you think? Yeah. To, to a, somebody of our age. I, yeah. I mean, some people aren't nostalgic about their youth, but definitely I, you identify with it. It makes you feel a little bit cozy. Yeah. You know, when you watch a movie, well, these movies try and, em- these kind of movies like try and emulate something like E.T. or The Goonies. And those are the movies that kind of, you know, shaped us in one way or another. All of us. Oh. So, um, yeah, I do, I do love the nostalgia bit. Um, the kids in this all, you know, it's got that cruelty to it, that cruel edge of like bullies and, you know, the kids that you root for and the bullies, similar to other things we've seen. But um, it all felt right. The era felt right. It never felt like, oh, this isn't really in the 80s, which some things sometimes slip a little bit. There was no slipping in this one. Um, what did you think overall of the, uh, you know, thing without... The no, thing or without, it. Not the s- thing. I love both of those and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what did you think about it? I really enjoyed it. Yeah. A lot. I mean, a lot. I felt I was lost in it, even though I took a few bathroom breaks, unfortunately. <laughs> That's uh, information. Broken. <laughs> not. Well, you know, sometimes when I'm immersed in a movie, I can skip over all that, but unfortunately. Are you saying this movie made you want to take a shit? <laughs> maybe that was it. Oh, maybe it was. Maybe... It scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Maybe you just need to add an S and a TMI. Hint. TMI for everyone. They're fast forwarding right now as we speak. I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I like horror movies in general. Good, bad, ugly, terrible, funny. You know, the range of Deathgasm to Shaun of the Dead to Exorcist, original, real Exorcist. You know what I mean? Everything. I like it all. Pretty much. I'll tell you if it's a, sh- well, p- crappy made movie, but I might still love it. This is a well-made, it plays on a lot of tropes, you know, the horrible father. This is plural. There's more than one horrible father, horrible mother. Um, their very generic horribleness is a bit lazy, I think. But we are talking about Stephen King. He's not the most creative person, uh, writer in the world. Well, he is creative, right? He's not that creative. He just tells stories that are going to make you go, <gasps> shit. It's not that hard to do, I don't think, for style-wise. I've read a couple of his things, not much. I don't think he's that creative as in deep or, you know. So having the horrible parents 
Now, he might put some literary twist on it and say, well, this is a, like he said, it's an allegory for this and the blah, 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 and the symbolism, whatever. I don't know. I still think he's kind of full of shit. But so you kind of get over the lazy things, you know, like the of the times sexualizing of this young girl, which I think in a movie made in 2017 shouldn't really have been a thing. But, you know, there you go. I understand that they're playing to the the boys, you know, a group of boys and then a girl and all that comes with that. But I really felt like the performances of everybody, and I mean everybody, from the bully guy to the parents to, except for the the terrible mother, I thought she was a bit, like, she was out of the movie she Matilda. She was like a cartoon character. Like out of Matilda, you know, that kind of over-the-top thing. And, of course, they had to make the terrible mother overweight just to make her grosser, I guess. I don't know. Really annoying. But um, other than that lady, unfortunately, she wasn't. She didn't really live up to the standard of everybody else. It was all, I was riveted and I cared. I cared about everybody from the bully to the it clown guy. Every Pennywise, I guess is his name. And uh, that makes a huge, that makes you, that lets you make huge leaps if anything does sag, but nothing did. I was always, I'm always skeptical, right? That at any time I'm going to get too much of something or not enough of something, but this just... I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the the next chapter. Yeah, and it does make it quite clear at the end that this is chapter one, and Mm -hmm. chapter two is coming in 2019. And with it being such a hit, I'm uh, and they're using the same director and everything. I assume it will be a big deal. Uh, Maybe they will go further than two chapters. So um, let's move on to the cast. Uh, Bill Skarsgård plays Pennywise the clown. Pretty good, I got to say. What do you think? I, I like the Skarsgård family. I do too. I, I must say. They're all pretty cool. And, um, every, you know, all of them, in fact. And he... <laughs> when you watch the extras about how he became Pennywise and what he did to do it, you can tell that he was really into it. Absolutely. That made a huge... That was a big thing for me, that it made it that much better. Like, he went really far with it, as in... He kind of stayed away from the rest of the cast. He said that was kind of easy because he looked so weird and people didn't really come to come up to him much. But he kind of stayed away from people. He kind of got into the headspace of some weird... I don't... What he said on the um, trivia again that I was just looking at was he tried to get into the headspace of The Shining. You know, the guy from The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, All alone, yeah. Yeah, and be that. Like, somebody who's been alone, and now they're just going to explode and be weird, like, and freaky. So uh, Spoiler yeah. alert if you've never seen The Shining. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A movie from about 40 years ago. I'm just saying. So, um, he, he was excellent in it. He was the right amount of weird. Like I say, I didn't find him particularly scary, but, like, he did jump out of places quite a few times. And that was kind of startling because he is a he's a very weird visual, isn't he? Like it's not just yeah. a clown; it's like a giant. He's big. His head's really kind of bigger than anybody's head would be. Is um, there are you know spoilers? There are moments where he does some weird shit that you would never a, a real person would not do. <laughs> you know, you reckon? there are some odd makeup things and stuff that he does, and. Um, yeah, I think, you know, he kind of makes it like, I don't, you know, you might say, well, you could put anybody in that, like Freddy Krueger, 
But it's like Freddy Krueger is what I'm getting at. Like Robert England played Freddy Krueger just right when they tried to redo um, Nightmare on Elm Street with that other guy from The Watchmen. It didn't work, did it? Because I mean, it worked because he was all right. He just that they could have made a new character for him to be. They tried to just with the sort of like him in. he's a broken man. He's got he's effed up because of circumstance, and now he's been whatever whatever made him turn super bad you could have made a whole different character instead of trying to lay that on top of freddy krueger who you're already supposed to hate yeah and think of him as like this horrible evil thing so i think that guy did all right but yeah changing the person because they're a whole different approach and this one's so specific even with all the makeup yeah, because you can't really out, tell it's him. Yeah, you find out, though, that the shape of the lip is actually his mouth, and that weird eye is actually his eye. That that kind of stuff makes it very personal. I yeah. thought it was really good. Yeah, I thought it was really good. In fact, so good, like, you would definitely want him for your It movies. <laughs> I was gonna, thought you were going to say for your children's party. <laughs> also for your children's party. It would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just terrify a group of kids with him. Um, so... Like I said earlier, the kids in this movie, which are the stars of the movie pretty much, that, you know, you won't know them, so I'm just going to name them. Um, there's Jaden Lieberher, who plays Bill, Jeremy Ray Taylor, who plays Ben, Sophia Lillis, who plays Beverly, Finn Wolfhard, who plays Richie, and Jack Dylan Grazier, who plays Eddie. Um, you will know Finn Wolfhard if you've watched Stranger Things. He's one of the kids mm-hmm. off there. But the rest of them, I, I, I doubt you will know them. I mean, I went and looked at other things that they've done and, you know, there wasn't much. You know, some of them have been a small role in a movie or something like that, but they're kind of unknowns. And I think that is actually to the betterment of the film, that you don't recognize any of these people so much. Agree. And on the other hand of that, they're all very good. Like, every every one of them is good at portraying these kids. Because I always think, when you're an actor as a kid, and then you're in a movie that set takes place in the eighties that you were never actually in the eighties as those <laughs> you know you weren't even born. So you got to research the eighties a little bit and try and not really. No, I don't think you want to try to be the eighties. Not try and be it, but you've got to at least know. I mean, to a kid of today, and why they're just telling you the things to say, and like. Here's your performance. I, I, me, me as a kid, if I was preparing for it, I would want to at yeah, least experience the eighties through something else. Why? How does that inform your well, kids? It, it makes me gets me into it. Like I, that's you know, I'm used to the era of now, which is cell phones and internet, and you know, there was none of that. So you've got to grasp all of that. Hmm. And I disagree. Be but in this yeah. different time, that music was different. People behave differently. The whole thing is different, right? Uh, yeah, but I don't think that matters to a kid doing a role. Because you just you say the lines that are given to you. You're not making I up the I guess I'd lines. be a really good actor because I'd want to bloody... But I don't think that would imp- improve what? your performance. Oh, I'd be a It would improve your experience, but I don't think it would, no. So these kids, yeah, they've not... You know, they're kids who've never experienced the 80s and I buy them being the 80s kids. That's what I'm getting at. They're all really good. I particularly like Sophia Lillis as Beverly. Yeah, she's really good. Because, you know, she's she's the girl amongst the group of guys and the group of young guys who are, like, crude. Let's say boys. boys. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely they're boys. They're pretty crude. They're pretty, um, you know, they they say shitty jokes to each other. They, they're just kids. 
and she she's not had a good time and she find you know that she kind of fits with these guys boys and i felt all that i mean because these there's some horrible background stories to some of these kids definitely you know they're not it's not all fun and games, even outside of it and uh, the Pennywise. Even in the normal life, it's kind of shitty. So I felt all that from them. Um, what did you think of all these kids? <laughs> all good. Every single one. I have no complaints. I think they were amazing. Even the kid from uh, Stranger Things. You like him in Stranger Things. Did it detract uh, from this at all? No, I mean, his character, I think they made him a little extra obnoxious, and I'm not sure why um for yeah. you know what i mean like that was a bit much but other than that is I'm... that because you're used to him as that other one and then this feels no i just felt like it was a bit they were trying too hard to make him stand out i feel like somebody sat down and said look we don't want you to be the stranger things kid so what can we do to make you seem different mm. so we'll give you some thick glasses and you can be like I don't think that was it, but and I you just can think... be a bit potty mouth and a bit <laughs> you know gross and a bit yeah jokey like. the obnoxious one. Um, so this is directed by Andy Muschetti. I don't know if that's right, Muschetti. I'm going for Muschetti. Uh, he's the director of the movie Mama, which was a which was awesome. I loved it. Do you remember that one in the house in the woods? The weird yes. Mama. Yeah. yeah. He directed that. That was a creepy ass movie. I liked it. <laughs> He's also his next movie is Shadow of the Colossus. The um Ooh. the video games being made into a movie. He's actually the director, and then he's going on to do it chapter two straight after Shadow of the Colossus. Um, Mama is actually an awesome horror movie. I've always thought it was good. Um, so I really like this guy. I, you know, what I like about sometimes about horror films like this that they. It's an unknown director almost. It's not somebody like, you know, who's a big horror director that, you know. Mm. But this feels super accomplished, right? It feels like a really awesome horror movie. Yeah, it's just, well, I think getting that those good performances, it tells a lot about, a, to yeah, me, so, tells a lot about a person. So I like it when I read the director's name and it's like, oh, he's a guy. Yeah, that mama was a small budget um, horror movie. And he's not really done a load of other stuff, but then look how good this turned out. Like, it is awesome. Like, it feels like somebody huge made it. Like, somebody who we already made 50 horror movies. So, um, yeah, I liked his direction style. I liked the whole thing. It's really, it looks really good, this movie. It's got some really creepy, like I say, the set design and the, like, production. It feels bigger than probably what it is. Like, the, you know that the scene at the end? I won't spoil it, but... You look up and some stuff's happening. Yes. That whole That looks really good. Yeah, it's, it's so good. It's like it's like something bigger than you think that the movie should have. Like I was like, wow, this is this is pretty crazy. But then everything, like that haunted house. Not not a haunted house, but I you know, from the look of that house from the outside, it's like your typical Oh look, it's the monster's house. <laughs> yeah. Was that a real house or was that a, I don't think was that so. a set built out? It, you it know, was a it, set. It was. It looked like it came out of Tim Burton's Nightmare or something. Like it is cool looking. Um, so yeah, production and just how everything looks in this movie. They don't go overboard with CG. A lot of it's practical stuff. You know when she's in the bathroom and all the blood. Yep. 
That is awesome. It was. That reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously, with the with the bed, with the blood coming out. But what was awesome about that was, I hate cleaning the shower plug out. <laughs> it always has so this. So that just grossed you out. It has this horrible, you know, always. Every, anybody who's cleaned a shower plug knows that, or the sink. There's a strand of hair with soap on it. It's gross. It's there. It's always going to be there. It's just there. And when you pull it up, it's like, ugh. It makes me feel like that. <laughs> and there is a scene in this movie that if you hate that, that scene will really get to you. And it really got to me, that scene. It, it was, was horrible. Like, it was the ultimate nightmare for somebody who hates doing that. So, yeah, I, lo- I loved all the production of this. And the director did a really good job. Director of photography, whole thing. Um, so, extras on the Blu-ray. There are a few. You get Pennywise Lives. You discover how Bill Skarsgård prepared for the creature known as Pennywise, which is actually pretty good. Um, get to see him, like, break it down, basically, how he figured out what to do. And You also get The Losers Club, which looks at the older kids. You get Author of Fear, which is actually good, because it's not like something where, you know, they'll, they'll mention Stephen King and tell, tell you about the book and stuff. It's actually Stephen King talking about what he thinks of this movie, how he wrote the book, what he was thinking about when he wrote the book, and pretty much like how the book came to be. So if you're interested in Stephen King, you get a whole 15-minute interview with him. And then there are some deleted scenes from the movie. So um, conclusion on it. Uh, highly recommended from, from me. Um, it's one of the better horror movies I've seen in a while, to be honest. So I would recommend it. I agree. I don't know if I'd recommend it, because not everybody likes horror, but let's say give it a try. I don't think, like a friend of mine said, oh, um, you you know, I, I've seen that It on, on Netflix, or what, not on Netflix, on um, Voodoo, uh, but I hate horror movies, I, they scare me to death, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I couldn't recommend it to somebody like that, because they're going to freak out, right, it's too much for them. Why, because he's a big baby? Yeah, he's like a 40-year-old <laughs> baby. <laughs> So um, yeah. If you if you know if you like horror movies though, this is a well executed horror movie. Um, I did say that about Annabelle Creation, which is pretty well executed also, but I feel like this is le- leagues ahead of that movie, just in all aspects of it, mm. acting, um, scare you know special effects. Like I say, I didn't find this particularly scary, but it is kind of weird. It's weird enough to kind of creep you out a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I recommend it. So thanks to Warner Brothers for giving us a copy for review. If you want to enter a contest, you can win a copy of Friend Request. Go to aschoolie.com and you can win. Next week's Blu-ray review is one a movie that's coming up in the... Um, I keep seeing it in all the awards mentions and stuff, and it's called Last Flag Flying. It stars Steve Carell. We're going to look at that next week. So um, what are your movie recommendations, Sid Zark? Well... You can go first. Actually. We already got that far? Yep, you first. Yes, we have. Uh, mine are, because I'm trying to Sits take people... doesn't pay attention, and then when it, <laughs> we get to a certain point... And like, pay attention oh. to what you're saying, not looking <laughs> at your little thingy. Your big thingy, sorry. Your big... What's it called? Template. Thanks. It's not right in front of my face. Um, because right now I'm looking at city skylines and I'm building a road while I'm talking. Uh, mine are... I'm trying to pick people in the cast... We've been in other movies. That's my lazy way out for 2018. And 
I knew that I'd seen one of the bullies before, and yes, he was in an episode of Black Mirror called Archangel, which happened to have been directed by, and maybe written by, Jodie Foster. It's a British sort of... Um, not written by Jodie Foster. Was written, it not? Written by Charlie Brooker, the creator of Black Mirror. Okay. But she directed it. Yeah. And it was really good, and he was in it, and so, um, I forget his name, he would have been one of the bullies. Yes, um, he would. But Black Mirror in general... Is a really good show. Yeah, and I highly yeah. recommend it. It is, what do you call it? It's like, it's not a horror and it's not drama. It's like future. It's got both of those things in it though, right? It does, but it's like always, it's always a step ahead of us in the future where technology and human fallacy or flaws come crashing together. Yeah, it's like a technological I made nightmare. A, I made, yeah, that's a good <laughs> Techno, Technology nightmare genre. That's what it is. <laughs> so Black Mirror, the episode is Archangel, which is particularly good, but the whole season is good. And then my other one is the little boy who plays the little brother who looks down the storm drain. He was actually the young version of Troy, if you remember, from the Walking uh, Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, I do know Troy. When they flash back to when he was a boy. Yeah. And doing those videos, he, this little boy was that little boy. Oh. Um, and Fear the Walking Dead, as we've discussed recently, I'm pretty dead on the inside for Walking Dead. I think it's getting boring. And I love zombie stuff. So don't, it's not about the zombies. It's about the bullshit, boring, lazy writing. But Fear the Walking Dead kind of wakes you up a bit. It's a, it's a, from the beginning of the whole outbreak and a different perspective. They go to Mexico. They find a ranch. Oh, wait. They find a place that's safe and then it's not safe. Wait, that sounds a lot like The Walking Dead. But anyway, I like the characters in that one. So, if you're tired of The Walking Dead, I say try Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, what was interesting with The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead for me was when um, I loved The Walking Dead and then Fear the Walking Dead started as this spin-off and we started to watch it and I was kind of like, Nah, I don't know about this. Me too. Like, that first season was kind of, not much happened. It's just, and then the second season, you know, it was okay. And then something happened. I don't know if they changed the writers or something, but that third season that has just, you know, the one that ended last, um, I thought it was actually way better than anything The Walking Dead has done. Partially because Madison did that thing that I was like, whoa. But just the whole scenario and what was going on in that, and the scope of it, it just felt really big. And I was like, wow. And then when we came back to watching The Walking Dead and they were fiddling around with that little war thing, I was like, it's so much better for The Walking Dead. (laughs) It is. So it's it's weird that a spin-off show, well, to me at least, has become better than the actual show that it span off from. I'm sure that happens... A lot because, like, the original show starts to run out of ideas, but the other show is kind of having its own thing, getting into its own deal. But, like you say, they'll probably end up just imploding, right? Because they're just the same thing over and over. Yep. Like most things do, they implode eventually. Correct. Yeah. Um, so, my recommendations are and mine are on the Bill Skarsgård is in the movie Atomic Blonde, which we watched recently. It's like a female Bond movie, I would put it up as. Uh, and I think it is excellent. And I really hope they make a sequel to it because I think it's a... I, think I loved it. I'd like to explore the Lorraine character a little bit more. I think she was really cool. Definitely. I really enjoyed it. And the second one I'm recommending is Mama that I mentioned earlier from this director. And it's it it was billed at the time as a Del... What's he called? I can never say his first name properly. 
Guillermo. Guillermo? Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro. Okay. Mama was billed as a as like his movie almost, so people would be like, oh, it's his next movie. But it was more of a, he presents this movie, and it was actually directed by this guy. Right. But Mama it is in the kind of stuff that del Toro does. It's his kind of weird creature kind of effect kind of thing. But, uh, Lots of sadness in his heart, I think. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a cool, like, horror movie that is creepy as shit in the woods, and it's all kind of misty, and it's kind of fairy tale horror-ish. But yeah, I, I give that one a look. I bet a lot of people didn't see it. So, uh, Games and A Scully stuff, I am going with... First off, I'll mention, uh, I played a new VR game this week. Virtual reality. <laughs> called Eagle Flight by Ubisoft. It's by the people who did the Assassin's Creed games. And it's a very simple concept. Um, you're an eagle in Paris. Uh, Paris as... Um, there's a little bit of a story at the beginning that the world has somehow ended somehow. Like, humans have gone away. I guess we got a disease or something and we disappeared. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Paris is, you know, it's maybe 50 years later. Paris has been overrun a little bit. Um, the animals got out of the zoo, so there's an- wild animals all over Paris, and it's kind of been grown over a bit. The Eiffel Tower's got like leaves going up it. But in this VR game, the experience that you're doing, you're an actual eagle, and you're flying... The whole thing is based on you flying over Paris. Now, there is a game in there. like you're, It's actually it takes you through the four phases of an eagle's life, starting from being hatched from the egg. Then the whole first chapters like you learning to fly with your parents and you know they game it up by you fly through these rings and you follow your mother and you swoop down in the thing and then the second phase of your life which is the part i'm up to it tells you how to fish in the river so you have to like fly down to the river and then when you see a fish pop up you have to like you know jump and get it so but there's an actual free flight mode as well where you can just fly around paris and sid talk over there yeah Flew around Paris as an eagle. What, what happened? I enjoyed it. I got yeah. sick and had to lay down, but I did enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a riot. I did love Sounds it. Sounds like a riot. It was. Well, I did enjoy it. I do like the, you know, some things. I've I've only done a few things in VR, but I do enjoy it. Yeah, it's... For the most part. But I get I still get the, uh, you know, the VR vomity feeling. No. Nah. Aside from the VR vomit feeling, it does. It is really the control method. Explain the control method. Um, it's, oh, it's really good. You just tilt your head wherever you want to go. I mean, you point your face where you want to go. So if you want to go over to the Eiffel Tower, you look at it, and then you're going that direction. You tilt your head down. You're going up, whatever, and then you can go faster or slower, or you can tilt side to side and do like a like U-turn a or whatever. Turn. Yeah, and it. While that sounds like really weird and like, oh, God, what, you're just t- tipping your head up and down? How can that control it very accurately? It's like super accurate. It is. It works really well. Like, the, if there's a hole in a building that you can fly through, like like a tight space where the where you could... If you look directly, your stare right at the middle of the tight space, you will skim through and not hit it. Like, it, it's crazy. It's almost like it's tracking your eyes rather than your head, like exactly where you're looking. Um, and you will hold an Xbox controller in your hands. And the triggers of the Xbox controller are what do the speed up and speed down. So if you want to slow down, you just 
can pull the trigger and go really slow or go really fast. Now, I didn't get sick playing it at all, and I, I felt it feels like you're a bird. It's a weird feeling. Like it's, it, it made me think, like, actually being a bird, <laughs> it's cool. It's like really cool. I mean, I'm sure it isn't. Birds have the problems as well, right? <laughs> you but, reckon? Yeah, I'm sure sometimes they get cold and sometimes they're starving to death. They can't find any food, but... Uh, Sounds great. Yeah, that part doesn't sound fun. But actually soaring above a city, flying really high up and then looking straight down, which sounds nauseating probably to a lot of people. Um, it is, there's something super cool about it. And what I really liked about the whole thing was you can see your beak. Like, cause, cause VR is in 3D, like it's, it feels like you're in an actual world. Your beak is there if you, if you kind of cross your eyes a little bit and look to the middle. <laughs> You've got this cool beak, and you can see the feathers like sticking out. It's just a really cool experience because it's Ubisoft as well. It's like a triple A thing. It's not, it's not like a half-assed thing. I've I've found a lot of VR stuff that you find on Steam is like, here's an idea, and we kind of mocked it up, and that's it. That's as good as it gets. Like we're, that, we're moving on to something else. But Ubisoft have literally sat down and made a proper game. Like it's a, it's got a story. It's got really awesome music while you're flying, like really epic music. You, like you said, it's when you're flying down over the river and you're seeing the, there's elephants and giraffes and zebras running around. It just feels like this epic thing. Like It's like something that I've never done in a video game. And if you did this in a flat screen video game, it wouldn't actually be anything really, would it? It wouldn't. I don't know about that. There's not much to it. If 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 it's if you're just a bird on a flat screen. See, I don't feel the thing that you do. I don't go like, oh, I feel like I've been a bird. I don't feel that at all. Well, you feel like you're in a world. Like you look around, everything feels high up, and it, you know, you look at your nest when you sat on the nest, and yeah, there's a guy over there, and like it, it, there's a when you look if you play a game like that on a flat screen, it doesn't. It's not the same. Like. Yes, they could build the game into a flat screen. Oh, you just fly through the loops. But then it just is like anything else. This actually has a feeling to it, which is hard to explain unless you play it. It's called Eagle Flight. It's uh, from Ubisoft. You can get it on Steam. Uh, we also uh, watched uh, our coverage of the X-Files. We watched... <laughs> this is the third episode that we watched this week. Um, I have to say, the first episode was like... One shit. out of ten, maybe dog two out shit. of ten. <laughs> Let me just put it out there, dog shit. I would give it maybe two out of ten, just because Mulder and Scully were in it, and I like them. Two out of ten, okay. Yeah, fair. Then number two, which was the one about the uploading into the server thing, I would give that about a five, to be honest. It was okay. It was better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did go up its own ass a little bit with its mythology again. Mm-hmm. Number three, this one we just watched called uh, what was it called? I don't remember what it was called. It was about it was a doppelganger type scenario, um, and it was a standalone episode. Really, it didn't really fit into the main thing. And I would give this one an eight. Hmm, that's pretty high. It had some, you know, the scene where Mulder and Scully were in bed and they were talking about what we would we do if the FBI wasn't there and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Yeah, like it. Felt like something. I felt something from it. And then it had a fun adventure mixed into it about this doppelganger thing that's going on in this small town. And it felt like really old X-Files, like season two or something. 
you know, where they had like a, just a hook, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, like the guy, they, the guy Mulder went to visit, he had that kind of odd X-Files, like it seems a bit crappy, like crappy acting and stuff, <laughs> yes. but it feels off. You knew like no, that was a woman. That was the woman who did his, the sister and the brother, the same woman. Yeah, did you? Okay. Just but do you know how it feels kind of shitty acting, almost? It feels like over the top a yeah, little bit. Theatrical. But then, yeah, but then the X-Files is that. That's what always made it feel a bit weird. True. Like every When you met like a really colourful character like that, I always thought it was cool. So, yeah, I would give this one an 8. I think it is improving. Absolutely As improving. I don't think you couldn't. Because it was so bad. Well, I guess maybe that's Chris Carter's idea. Start with absolute dog <laughs> shit, and then it's uphill. So everyone's down. expectations are really <laughs> low. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. Episode three, I highly recommend watching it because it really did feel like an old episode of the X Files. But Mulder and Scully are way more weary now, like mm-hmm. and older, and there's a lot more. They're a bit more complicated than they used to be uh, emotionally, um, and you'll discover some of that this this yeah. time. So. Um, what else we got? The end of the world. Or the end of the effing world. It's the world. end of the world as we know it. I'll forever think of that every time someone says that phrase. You will, but that it's was not used in this show. It wasn't. By um, big mistake. Big mistake. So the end of the effing world is on Netflix now. It is a British show that aired like about six months ago in Britain on Channel 4. But now it's on Netflix so everybody can see it in America. And um, we watched the whole thing in two nights. Do you realize? Yes, of course. Uh, uh, what I'm th- a marathoner, so I'm not into this waiting around shit. I what just... did you think of the end of the effing world? Really good. I don't. I don't know what else to tell you. It's really yeah. good. It's high quality. Explain to the listeners kind of what it is in that rough outline. Um, it's basically a modern Bonnie and Clyde or um, what's your the one you like? Natural born. Killers. Natural born killers. I mean, it's just a new telling of that. Two young people committing some crimes on the lamb. And uh, their connection to one another. But this changes it ever so slightly to where, well, you always get their backstories. And then you root for them because you know they've had a hard time, these Bonnie and Clyde types. Yeah. But this has got that sort of comic book slash British. However, even though it's in England, it's very American. Yeah, it is. Like, you would be hard-pressed to not... To know, and I said there should be more shows like this in England. And it's British countryside, British places that we don't see often in TV shows. It's like on the road. So you get like a, the things that you'd see in an American show. Like there's an explosion. There's like a really fancy house that they find that's all out in the woods kind of on its own. And in British TV shows and movies, you get this feeling of it's all very claustrophobic and tight in the cities and if you live out in the country you live in this like ram like a shack with a thatch roof or something you know what I mean like this kind of showed you England or the country of England in a different way and a lot of the dialogue is seems kind of bold and American almost like uh, a bit Tarantino uh, Tarantino I was just yeah. gonna say yes like the you know if, if she'd done her two fingers over her eyes she would have been Uma Thurman you well, know for a second that dance what she did there I was reading an interview with her. She watched Pulp Fiction 20 <laughs> times. Just the uh, dance scene. I could get the vibe, and that was definitely. that what she was going for, yeah. <laughs> she achieved it. Yeah, and it, I mean, it literally, it does, it actually uses some of Pulp Fiction's music and, um, you know, 
and a natural born killer song as well but yeah it's got that vibe mm-hmm. but it's got that cheeky english thing about it too yep where it's very british kind of humor um and the you know she is amazing i think she she was what really won me in it you know like her transformation over the whole thing where she's kind of cocky and definitely and she needs something and then uh, the father like kind of does something for her i just loved the, the arc of her but it's very short. The episodes are only like 21 minutes each. And there are eight of them. So it's really pretty much the length of a movie. So uh, you can marathon it pretty quickly. <laughs> I recommend Marathon it. that shit. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. So um, End of the Effing World. It wasn't actually called The End of the Effing World in England. It was the, the Effing was actually the full word. Right. But I guess Netflix... Um, <laughs> it's easier to sell it in it if you kind of bleep it out there. But yeah, there is a lot of um, violence and uh, expletives during the movie. Definitely during the show. I, I still, I, I'm still convinced it was actually filmed as a movie, but then converted into like <laughs> parts. That's how it feels to me. Like it was just a movie. So yeah, that's my recommendations. What's for dinner tonight, and why are we even? Why do we even care? Why do you keep asking? Are you just assuming this is the first time that yeah, anyone has ever has listened? listened to this. Yes. <laughs> so I have to explain every time. Well, uh, whenever I give you that. Tonight for dinner will be some gardein. 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 We're a vegetarian, so we don't eat the meat parts. I think it's of like the dead protein, animals. so I think it's gardein. Gardein. Yeah. Okay. Like garden protein. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So gardein um, crispy strips of vegetable protein. Which sounds really delicious. It sounds like space food, doesn't <laughs> it, does. it? It's like we're going to the moon. I'll tell you what. <laughs> you know, it was 2008. At the end of 2008, the beginning of 2009, when, you know, we stopped fully eating meat. So that we're at 10-year mark now almost. Nice. Well, we're on, you know, in the ninth, 10, ninth, 10 year, whatever. December of this year will mark our 10th year of beginning the process of not eating dead animals anymore. And we're not activists or anything. We're not animal people necessarily. But the reason I tell you what we eat is because when you do stop eating the animals, you realize very quickly. And it's got a huge impact on you. You know, in the, when you go shopping, when I eat meat for 40 years. And trust me, I ate a lot of steak and a lot of burger, a lot of chicken, a lot of fish. So did I. My parents uh, owned, ran a stockyards. My grandfather owned a stockyard. So our freezers were full of an entire chopped up pig and an entire chopped up cow and if you wanted a snack after school you could go thaw out a steak and roast it and eat it before supper i mean it was like meat city everything was meat and so and you know my mom tells stories of going to her grandma's and they'd go out at five in the morning and kill a few chickens her grandma would fry them up and they'd eat it all day so we're not talking about i'm not talking about like hippy dippy not being derogative but i'm not a Save the planet, save the resources, freak or anything like that. Also, not trying to be mean by saying freak, but I'm not freaky about it. I'm not obsessive about it. However, when you start moving away from it, you realize, wow, it's everywhere. It's very hard to escape in the normal world. Meat being in things. And I mean everything from snacks to your main dishes, obviously frozen foods in every aisle, in soups, in canned anything. You might think, oh, here's a can of, like, cooked cabbage with seasonings, and you read it, oh, bacon. Or cooked with beef broth. Yep. Or cooked with ham or whatever, you know? So 
telling people what we eat. And often it's just Subway or Jimmy John's or Papa John's plain pizza with vegetables. You don't eat cheese. I, and you know, so we cut the cheese off for you, cut the salsa off for me. We're kind of getting weird about this stuff. But if you are thinking of not eating meat anymore, it's not impossible. Like we found this gardening stuff, protein gardening. Morning star stuff. Morning star, corn, Q-U-O-R-N. Not just those things. You don't have to have a meat substitute, as they call them. I've made many meals. I think one of my favorite things is just like mashed potatoes and cauliflower, some peas and scrambled eggs or something. Yes, we still eat eggs and milk, some milk, very little, and not much cheese. But tonight is going to be the garden, crispy things that are supposed to be emulating like a chicken finger or whatever. Chicken. Chicken. Not a nugget. Yeah, like chicken tender. Tender, yeah. Yes, and they are really good. You put them in the oven for a while, and they are delicious. Yeah, very nice uh, dipped in ranch dressing. Correct. And then um, I will just be making some potatoes, probably, in a skillet with some onions. And probably peas, because peas are kind of our go-to. Keep the protein up. Yeah. Flavor. You love your peas. Peas is my favorite vegetable. No, it actually isn't. Brussels sprouts is my favorite vegetable. We have those less. I should think of getting them. I love them. Yeah, I love them. So So, that's it. That's what I'm for dinner. And what's your advice before we leave? My advice tonight is, and this isn't advice so much as I'm bossing you all around, but stop underestimating yourself. It's really getting on my nerves. When you say to somebody, I'm like, lately, what did I do this last week? What did I build? You built a um, cabinet that you put seedlings on to grow them inside mm-hmm. and what what features does this custom-made yeah, shelf thing have? led um <laughs> growing lights and pc fans donated by me <laughs> correct that um cool you know put a breeze over the over the seedlings correct and i had no plans it and looks I had- like she's it looks like you're going to grow weed it does, and people have accused me of that, which is fine, but it's not for weed. But I'll tell you what, that's where I get a lot of my gardening tips. I'm not kidding. That's where a lot of people, obviously in places where it's legal or, or not legal, um, you get a lot of good tips because they're growing for a purpose, right? They're growing for high quality, either to make money or just to use for themselves. So I take that advice, and it's just a plant. It's nothing special about marijuana. So I did get a lot of advice from that, but... Um, this shelf thing. I had no plans. I had no like guideline. I had no, didn't draw it out. I didn't, I looked up what they look like in the store, what people have built for themselves. And then then I did my own customization. I wanted to be a certain width so that in front of the window, it didn't take up as much space as I have in the past. I wanted to be a certain height. I wanted to have a shelf that I could put under, but a nice flat thing on the top and all this stuff. So I just did it. I literally would just go to Lowe's or Menards, look around and go, hmm, how do I build this one side? I guess I'll get three of these, make them this long, give me some screws. I did buy a new drill slash screwdriver, electric screwdriver, because the first night I did them all by hand and I was like, ugh. So I got over that real quick. True. Um... And then I just sort of pieced it together and it started coming together and I was like, wow, this is awesome. I mean, it's not perfect. It's not got, I wouldn't put a a level on it or check my corners for 90 degrees or anything like that. But when I got it finished, I have this overwhelming sense of pride. And if I had started with the attitude that I get from a lot of people, wow, I could never do that. I would never even try that. I wouldn't even know where to start. 
if I started there, I wouldn't have done it. Right. And so that's underestimating your ability. Now, I underestimate myself as well in a lot of things. I have this, and it's been going on for a while. Last year, I planned to teach myself more about drawing caricatures of people, and then I didn't get it done. Why? Because I underestimate the, my ability to do it. Because I sit down with it, and I'm like, oh, I'll probably never get this. So I do it too. And it's bullshit. Because if I just do it, I'll do it. I may not be the best in the whole world. I may not win competitions. Um, but I think that when people underestimate themselves, it puts this brick wall in front of them with a big door and a padlock. Well, you can just shoot the padlock off, <laughs> go all atomic blonde on it, and just try things. You know, don't underestimate your ability to do anything. You know? If you think at 35 years old, well, I really wanted to be like a psychiatrist. I really wanted to be a brain surgeon. I really wanted to be a lawyer. You know a guy who became a lawyer later in life. I'm not saying you'll be the best at it or that you'll 100% succeed. But if you automatically decide you can't do it, then you're not going to do it. That's just true. You'll never fail if you say, I can't do it. <laughs> because that means you won't try and then you can't do it. So don't underestimate yourself. All right, so uh, if you want to visit our website, it's aschoolie.com. You can catch us on Twitter and Facebook on the social networking side. You can also catch this podcast on Google Play Store, iTunes Music Store. If you've got an Amazon device, you know, one of those little speakers that you have in your house that you talk to, you can say your trigger word and then say, listen to After the Show Movie Podcast on TuneIn, and it will play you the latest episode. Can e email feedback to me at aschoolyacecoolie.com. Don't email Sid Talk. Please email me and tell me. Um, what was it I wanted them to tell me earlier? Well, you'll, you might, you'll have it in your head because you was listening so intense. <laughs> tell me that, what I said earlier. Definitely. I, I forget. So, and um, I want to say stay classy, Mr. Bill Skarsgård, as Pennywise. I'm really looking forward to seeing you again in the sequel. It was good. And I'm going to say thank you for yourself. Because if you don't do it, someone will do it for you.